everyone tuned in. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Joining me on this very cold morning in the studio is A.B. Bishop, author, horticulturalist and general superstar, and Stephen Ryan of Dixonia Rare Plants, also viral YouTube star these days. Good morning to you both. We are live in the studio. Can't yes. believe it. And no masks. And no, <laughs> no, no masks. masks. We have got these weird little perspex screens around us, apparently. And we're not allowed to breathe. And we're no, not, no, 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 so holding your breath through an hour and three quarters is going to be quite interesting. But there you go. I like to fondly call them spit screens. I think Evan Golke called them that. Oh, <laughs> that's gross. Uh, it is a bit gross, but anyhow, so, so we can get really angry with each other is what you're saying. Absolutely. So oh. Let's get passionate. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah, for sure. Well, gardening's one of those in those things that gets people passionate, although not normally in an aggressive way, I find. No, no, no most not, people, not no, usually. No, most people who are into gardening are generally pretty laid back and relaxed, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At, at least when they come into the company with other gardeners. Well, exactly. We all get we Maybe get passionate not. then when we're talking yeah. about our favourite plant at the moment or That's whatever. Right. Or, or the rabbits have been going oh, crazy or etc. Yes. However, can I just announce like really, really big announcement here? All right. I now live in a rabbit-free zone. What? How did you get there? How did yes. you achieve that? Yes, thank you. Is everybody listening? Because yes. I've been <laughs> rabbiting on yes, you for the past yes. however many oh, years yes. I've been on air here um, about the bloody rabbits that uh, pretty much yeah decimate everything. How did I get on top of it? Okay, so we um, had in a fox contractor. So there was a um, there's a program going at the moment. So I'm in Bend of Islands for those people who don't know. Environmental Living Zone, and um, we were part of the Sugarloaf Link Project, which is a project designed to help residents deal with weeds, foxes, not rabbits specifically, uh, and deer. So there was a culling program for the deer, and um, we don't really have a lot of problem with deer, but we certainly had problem with foxes and rabbits and weeds. And uh, so we got on board the program and uh, had this fantastic fox contractor come out and um, so he we ended up catching four foxes Mm -hmm. and they use a soft jaw trap to just hold them in place Mm -hmm. and I can um, ascertain that it doesn't hurt Mm -hmm. at all so he he put it on my arm and it's really literally just holds you in place Mm -hmm. and then he shoots them and it's the quickest process ever so if if ever there was a case where the ends justifies the means then I think um, this would be it Um, it's sure the fox is stressed while it's trapped but um, you ring him up when when you see that it's trapped and he comes out really quickly and puts it down but hold on Foxes eat rabbits. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly yes. what happened. Yeah. So we ended up having this sort of explosion of rabbits uh, and then we started setting these traps for them and they're just the, um, essentially they're also like the traps that they use for uh, wild cats mm-hmm. uh, and um, it's just a cage essentially and we have had this incredible success rate of these rabbits. You just put a little bit of whatever in there. I think we were putting bird seed in there and a bit of carrot occasionally. And the rabbits just go in, you trap the rabbits and the fox contractor comes and takes them away and he shoots them. 
Uh, so again, no, so no rabbit quick, stew, Dan. No, <laughs> no, no rabbit stew. But I'm sure he has plenty. Uh, so we literally have no rabbits. Touch wood. Have you at now? The moment. Um, I might have tuned out a minute ago watching um, monitors. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you got a ra- some sort of rabbit-proof fence around your no, property? No, no. So where we are, it's um, there's no fences allowed. So yeah. no cats, no dogs, and no fences. So that the wildlife has uh, right of way wherever mm. it wants to go. Mm. And honestly, you couldn't really effectively put up fences anyway. I, I yeah. have a few sort of rusty wire fences around a couple of garden beds, which has been successful. But at one stage, there were just too many rabbits. And it was mm. just, I mean, we've got three acres and you're in the bush and it's just impractical, mm. stony soil, impractical and, and illegal for where we are to have a fence around the property. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, so this has worked really well. Who would have guessed that rabbits actually go into those little yeah. cages? I thought they were too smart for anything, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so no rabbits. I, I can't believe it. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So I'm assuming, though, that you'll have to keep a wary eye on things and you may have to revisit yeah. this yeah. in time. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's coming to take his traps away now for good, and then but we'll just keep one on the property at all times and... Uh, there was one neighbour who hadn't been interested in doing the um, rabbit program, so there may still be a couple of rabbits that come on over for a holiday mm. or something. I don't know. Maybe we'll be the Airbnb of Bend <laughs> Islands for the rabbits. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, very exciting to have. And, and you can tell it's sort of um, in the garden because there's there's grass where there wasn't usually ah. grass. And uh, now the wallaby has got free reign for everything else. So yeah, that, that's all exciting, yeah. That's very, so, very exciting. Yeah. I will um, get into a really couple... We'll have one community announcement, and then yeah. we've got some troubleshooting to do. Uh-oh. Now, right. if, if listeners haven't um, guessed the dose of tones, of tones of their host this morning, it is oh, Chloe yes. Foster. <laughs> yes, you might as, might as well introduce yourself, Chloe. <laughs> yes, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving the ship this morning. Um we, I have one communi- community announcement to make, and that is encouraging women in horticulture is on the lookout for a new secretary um, and, commi- and committee members, if anyone is interested. Stephen? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think I have. I, I'm not qualified. <laughs> um, if anyone, if you actually are interested, then please contact um, Josephine Mifsud. Uh, on the e- her email is info at ewha.com.au or you can call her on 0425-708-950 and that's Josephine Mifsud, info at ewha.com.au and that is encouraging women in horticulture, looking for a secretary and other general committee members if anyone is interested. Mm, All right. Very worthy organisation. People should get in t- yeah, engaged. Agree. Mm. Agree. Now, I've got some troubleshooting to do with you guys this morning. We have a um, podcast listener has emailed us from Picton in New South Wales. So we have a, um email address set up now that if people mm. um, don't want to call up the show or if they're podcast listeners and they don't listen on in live on a Sunday morning, you can email us which is gardening at 3cr.org.au. 
All right, Eric from Picton. Here we go. Whenever you're listening, we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> I don't know where Picton is, firstly. Where, I'm not you know dead sure either. No. All right, cool. while I'm well, reading it, why don't you Google it? Yeah, New yeah, South yeah Wales. what a good idea. Yes, we know right. it's in New South Wales. So he's in, his soil is extremely heavy clay. He's prone to waterlogging when it is wet, cracking in dry, very heavy frosts and extreme heat in summer. Mm. Like he's got so, all the extremes. Yeah. Lucky um, man. The property is also at the bottom of the of a valley, so the frost can get pretty bad. Uh, outdoor, they have a hedge border uh, with Japanese box hedge. Okay, his issue is at one area of the garden, nothing survives in it. Vitinia <laughs> struggled and Buxus has died. He's replaced the soil in his garden bed and has added lots of organic matter to improve the soil. Still nothing. Annuals didn't thrive. I don't know if the soil is contaminated from the building process or if it is just the fact that the soil isn't very good. The garden, or this garden, is prone to flooding and waterlogging, particularly this year with the floods and rain that we've recently had. Mm. Suggestions of plants that can form a hedge and cope with local conditions. I was thinking of trying Tristianopsis lorena due to its potential to survive in waterlogged soil. AB is nodding. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interested to see if anyone has any suggestions. Mm. First thing I'd say is, well, first of all, Picton apparently is in between, where was it, in between, um, this is very broad, Campbelltown and... Barrel, sort of, it's slightly, yeah. yeah so it's just. I know south. where Barrel is. Yeah, that's, that's so a good start. It's, so from Barrel, it's northwest. All oh, right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So, well, it would uh, be a fairly vicious climate. North out there. is that northeast New South Wales? Well, it's south of Sydney. Mm. So south. It's, it's southwest right. of Sydney. So mm. sort of above Wollongong. Right. And, and more, much more inland. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So I would say indigenous, indigenous, indigenous. Yes. Mm. Um, to get the, the basic structure for the garden. Um, and um, if, if um, sorry, what was his name? Eric. Eric. If Eric went onto his local council website and most likely, because most councils these days have a list of yeah. Indigenous plants. Mm. It's a fantastic list. A lot of them are really usable. They break it up into trees, shrubs, etc. So they won't list every single plant that's indigenous to the area. They'll list plants that are useful in the garden. Mm. Uh, And that would pretty much, I'd use that to form the basis of the garden. And uh, I mean, people sort of think that they're going to be really limited. But when you download the list of plants that are indigenous to your area, there's thousands. Mm. Yeah, so there's you, going to be lots of things to yeah, choose from. And, and there's going to be cultivars of those particular ones, so plants that have been improved. And for sure, that's that's the first thing I'd be doing. And, yep. and yeah, looking at... So melaleucas, calistamins. Well, that would have been my... Yeah, my I was going op- to go yeah. in that direction yeah. as well. Yeah. There's plenty of species in both of those genera that are uh, very good in swampy ground. Yes. And they'll cope with summer dry. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. They're mm. usually my go-to for that problem. Mm. Yeah. And indigenous mm. as well. I don't know if you can think of anything that's non-indigenous that he could give a go... Well, there's probably a number of plants that he could try, but that also the other way to look at this issue, um, he says he's replaced soil. Now, that always worries me a little bit. Um, I don't mind improving soil, but yeah. replacing soil I find sometimes a problem because you end up with a different structure of soil yep. on top of or 
in amongst uh, something that's very heavy and clay, and sometimes you create a sump yep. where water Agreed. just sort of sits there. Yeah, sometimes uh, people dig a big hole, think yeah. they're doing the right thing, put, fill it up with potting mix or other yeah. garden yeah. soil, and big, and big really problem. they're not because what you do create is a, a quite a, literally a sump. The water goes through, hits the clay, builds up again, and you've yep. got this wet, soggy patch, and that's not a good good thing. By improving the soil, though, and, and with a heavy clay soil, uh, humus materials are fantastic, but as mm. we all know, you've got to keep them up. If you don't keep them up because they rot and they dissipate over mm. a period of time. I always try and get some sort of gravelly material in as well. Um, uh, my go-to product has always been spent potting mix from my nursery because there's mm. always grit and stuff yeah. in that. Uh, so that's what I've used in because I started with a yellow clay was what I had on my block when I first oh. started. My topsoil was the grey smudge under the gum leaves, yeah. mm, quite yeah. literally. Yeah. Mm, um, yeah. So there was no topsoil at all on my block. And I trench composted for years. So I dug trenches, broke up the bottom of the trenches, started putting compostable materials in, spent potting mix, all that stuff, used the yellow clay from the next trench and mixed it through the previous trench and just worked my way completely across my garden, Mm. hence bad backs and arthritis. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, it worked. Um, uh, In a sense, it made a semi-sump. But because the whole bed was that way, it would hold water there, but not in the same way as it would if you dug a hole and filled it up with something. So yeah. it did help hold moisture there. And because I put so much organic material in, plus all the spent potting mix and stuff, uh, all the beds were raised, so I got better drainage. So it sort of worked in both directions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a huge commitment. It's only taken me 30 years. <laughs> um, uh, because I was determined to grow everything I wanted to grow, mm. which still doesn't work because my soil now gets hydrophobic in the summer with all the tree roots and things that have moved into it. Uh, and so I still can't grow a lot of really moisture-loving things. You know, there's no primulas in my garden or blue poppies from Tibet or any of those really (laughs) exotic things because I can't keep them alive. Um, But I am now growing a really serious range of interesting plants. Uh, And a couple of exotics just to throw in the mix that um, uh, might be worth looking at. Um, Because, I mean, there's plants from all over the world that come from similar habitats. So it's not just our native plants that are going to be able to cope with those sorts of things. There's parts of South Africa, there's parts Mm. of North America, uh, there's parts of the Mediterranean basin uh, that have similar sort of climatic zones. Um, The things in the Restinaceous family, both Australian ones and South South African ones, all the Restios, the Elegias, there's a whole range of them, Um, they're sort of rushy-type plants, and some of them get quite tall, uh, can be really good in temporary bogs, so they're worthwhile looking at. Mm. Um, And any shrubs uh, of the sort of... uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of how to put it... Um, No, I can't. So let's move on and I'll (laughs) come back to it if I think of how to put it. Um, But yeah, if you go through literature and you do some Googling on plants that come from temporarily damp conditions, and Mm. there's lots of those in the world. Um, So you've just got to find the conditions like that, that plants will cope with both extremes. And then you've just got to make sure you've got a climatic zone that's similar as far as frost and and heat and so forth and the summer's concerned. And so there are lots and lots of plants that will do it. Mm. Um, In fact, 
the only thing you've then got to be careful of, particularly if you aren't going indigenous plants, is that it's not something that's likely to go feral in the end because it does so well in your conditions that you know, you've got to be a bit careful about yep. that side of things. So there's always things you've got to measure up against. And those are the things that would be worth um, talking to local indigenous nursery. Yeah. They will know somebody, about potential yeah. exotic weedy species yeah. in those sorts of conditions yeah. as well. So yeah. hopefully local council has information on their website but also on their... Um, uh, that also hopefully they have a nursery yeah, as well that yeah. they might be able to talk to. One of the plants that I brought in, coincidentally, is one which will be native to, uh, well, not will be, it is native to his area, and that is the uh, red fruit sausage or the Garnia Cybriana. Ah, yes, Garnia is quite good. Is that the one that quite tall? It does, yeah, yes. This one so isn't, the, but yes. No, yeah, <laughs> the, the, one that, the one that I brought in and that Liz um, has put up on Instagram is, is very small, but... Um, Eventually, they form clumps of about two meters by two they're meters. They're quite big plants, aren't they? They're mm. big. They're beautiful, and then they throw up these really long flower spikes, which are sort of almost like a deep burgundy, yeah. almost to black. They're absolutely so ornamental mm. when they're in flower. And if you like dried flower berries. arrangements, there's a possibility there. <laughs> Honestly, this is one of my favorite plants. So this is a sort of a, a, a true sort of. Um, edge plant, I yeah. suppose we'll say. So it sort of is on the margins of water. So it copes with that inundation and it copes with completely drying out. I've planted it in the garden in areas where it's not particularly boggy and it's, it's going fine. really well. Mm. It's it's really fine. Um, but it can, I mean, depending on how much area you've got, it can form a really nice hedge if you plant mm. a few in a row. It's uh, in Dij, um, pretty much to the sort of east and south coast mm. from from right up the top from far north Queensland the whole way through um, down into South Australia. And, um, yeah, pretty much copes with anything, um, including frost. It's fantastic habitat plant. It's the uh, food source for the um, sword brown sword brown grass butterfly. I always get that round the wrong way. Sword grass brown butterfly. Sword grass. Yeah, sword yep. grass brown butterfly, um, as well as plenty of other moth species. And it makes great uh, habitat for little frogs and lizards totally. and all those sort of things yeah. can get in underneath mm, yeah. it. And, and be very and protected. Hide. Yeah, yeah. Re- really good um, seeds as well for, for the seed-eating birds and, and things like that. So, yeah, so that's Garnia cybriana. Which is G-A-H-N-I-A. Yeah. Keep going. I can't <laughs> I just thought Garnia would be a good start. Yeah, well, there, there are a few Garnias. Um, in fact, there's 40 species of Garnia, oh, which goodness. are sort of indige to um, uh, parts of Asia, New Guinea, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's about 20-odd species which are indige to us here in Australia. And, yeah, I think they're fantastic. Um, and one of the things, do, do you guys ever get confused, the difference between the... Um, the sedges and the rushes. Uh, yes, there's there, a bit there, of a Yeah, there is a, a rhyme. I have to think Nursery it through. Yeah, my, I know it is... Um, do I need to get the dump button ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> sedges have edges and grasses have arses. Oh, close. Well, that's not the one I know, but I like that one better, actually. <laughs> sedges have edges, rushes are round. That's right. Grasses have... 
um, grasses have nodes all the way to the ground. So, so they're talking when they're say that, say that again. Say that again in full. Six. Okay. So, f- so first of all, I'll say it, this is referring to the culms or the stems of the grasses, so not not the leaves. Mm. Um, so sedges have edges, so they're angulated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, rushes around. So if you pulled the leaves away from the from the actual the flower stem. stem yeah. mm-hmm. Um, you'll find it's quite round, mm. uh, and grasses have nodes all the way to the ground. And then also grass, grass, grasses are hollow mm. in the middle, whereas mm. sedges and rushes have got that sort of, yeah, sort of pulpy, spongy sort of pith, spun- yes. pith, mm. pith in them. Yeah. Yeah. But it so is very confusing. It is exceedingly <laughs> confusing. But anyway, so Garnier, yeah, get it, get it in your garden. Get yeah. it in your garden. And yeah. hopefully we've given um, Eric in Picton in New South Wales some good tips. Yep. And now, thank you for listening to the podcast and I thank you for emailing us. I think it's fantastic people are uh, doing that. But were either of you ladies in here the morning we had a phone call from England? Yes, I was in with you that morning. We actually Amazing. had live listeners listening to us in England. No way. Yeah, that's true. And she wanted to know about proteaceae potting mixes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised she called them potting mixes. Aren't they just called potting mix compost or something? Oh, yeah, well, maybe they do. Maybe I don't she, remember exactly how... Australian living in Maybe if she's listening, she can message in or listen up, uh, call us up again yes, and yes. tell us what they're calling. The only issue with that was, of course, you have that gap when somebody asks a question yeah. and, and you tended to talk over each other, which is a pain. Which was uh, just a d- the geographical yes, distance, that yeah, gap, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. she was yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about people calling in and contacting us, we better open up the oh, yes. phone lines. And um, look, if anyone wants to tell us what their lockdown gardening plans are yeah. this week, please let us know. Uh, our on-air phone number is 94190155. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. If you would like to call up the outside line, if you don't want to go on air, Karina or Doug will be out there, and you can chat to them on nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's nine four one nine eight three double seven. And one more phone number. Uh, the SMS text line is open too. So zero four double eight eight zero nine. Eight five five. If you want to send us a text message, Good I have all of these numbers in my contacts in my phone, so that's so one easy way. If you can't, if you didn't hear me, what we what I just said, then you can pop them in your phone. Yep, perhaps. So when you're lying in bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I can say, A B, you spelled the name wrong. <laughs> yes, that's right, exactly. <laughs> Unlikely, but anyway. <laughs> uh, dear. Okay, one more troubleshooting uh, um, yes. email from another listener. Um, Libby has a qu- couple of questions about her elderflower, which mm-hmm. I think, Stephen, she says she bought from you about three years ago. It's very possible. When should I prune an elder shep? Elderflower for shape. I've got a golden elderflower mm. that is now two metres tall and two metres wide, hoping for a tree shape like at Stephen's house. Mm. Any tips on how to do it and um, any way to help an elderflower that isn't thriving? So the black lace, is that yeah. another variety? Yeah, that's another variety. That yeah. I picked up at the same time is still knee height. It flowers each year and is planted one metre north of the golden elderflower. Mm. Which is interesting because there shouldn't be that much difference in the vigour of both those cultivars, so that, that does surprise me a bit. I, I would think that only being a metre or so away, the soil would be 
similar. You would think you'd be kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, you would, and the aspect should be somewhat similar and all mm. that sort of stuff. So it does surprise me that Black Beauty hasn't kicked off as much as it should have done. I mean, it's not as big a growing cultivar uh, as the Golden Elderflower. Right. So the Golden one can, can quite literally make a small tree. Mm-hmm. And really, if you want to tree it up, all you have to do is remove lower branches, uh, leave the major central trunks, and just remove any of the lower bits and pieces off it, and that, and that will keep it up in the air. Um, once you've got a canopy above, it tends not to shoot from down low so much because the elderflowers like lots of light, so they won't shoot under their own shade particularly well. So you, you could keep it that way. Um, if your other one's not thriving, um, uh, the only thing I can think to do is give it a good feed in the spring, uh, see if it can't kick it along. Mm. Um, I mean, there's nothing sort of particularly... Um, you know, you don't need to be able to stand on your left foot and stick your tongue out and do all sorts of weird stuff for elderflowers. I mean, mm. they're, they're not complex plants. They're, they're in fact, very easygoing plants. Are we talking Sambucus? Yes. yes Ni- Nigra? Yes, yes. yes, all cultivars of Sambucus nigra. And I have to say, they're a plant that I would be careful where you plant them if you are in a forested area, particularly a cool, damp one like my district, because they can self-seed themselves quite prolifically, so you do have to be a bit careful of them. But I do love elderflower cordial. I was going to say, do you make the cordial? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that yeah. too. Yeah. And, of course, if you're making the cordial, you don't let the plant go to seed, which actually has a side benefit. Um, so you use, the flower, <laughs> you use the nectar, essentially. Well, basically, yes. What yep. you do is you pick the flower heads. Yep. And um, I, I did describe how to do this once on air, but without the recipe sitting in front of me, it's a bit pointless. But the recipe I used was just one I got off the internet uh, for elderflower cordial. Mm. And I think it uses something like 30 or 40 flower heads, and you seep them in yep. a sugar syrup. Yep. Um, uh, and, and that's how it sort of works. And so then, and then add them. eight yeah. kilos of sugar. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mainly taste of sugar, really. Uh, and yes, and then you sort of uh, hang it up in a muslin cloth oh. and let it all drip through till you get the last of the elderflower cordial out of it. <laughs> um, and we make enough cordial to last us 12 months, uh, which is great fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can do that with calistamins and banksias. I mean, that was a... Banksias especially. A, a, mm. a, yeah, standard food source for yeah, many other exactly. local Aboriginal so, people. Yeah, so there's nothing really specifically weird about Sambucus that you need to to manage. Uh, so if one's just not thriving, give it a good feed and make sure it gets adequate water during the summer. I mean, they're, they're pretty tough and hardy, but they don't like to get dry, dry. Um, apart from anything else, if you actually want them to be productive like any other productive plant, they need moisture to actually produce a crop. So, so a bit of mulch at the end of winter, yeah, some blood and well. bone or, yeah. or an yeah. organic type fertiliser. Yeah, anything like that would do some well-rotted compost out yep. of your own compost bin. Yep. Um, they're not heavy feeders, although they'll gobble it up if they get it. Yep. Um, um, and as I said, if you make uh, cordials or champagnes or fritters from the flowers, mm. uh, then they don't go to seed, so you're not so likely to cause any environmental issues with them. Mm, but they are beautiful shrubs. I think I've got something like... 30-odd elderflower, elderflower, elderflower <laughs> cultivars oh, wow. in my collection. Um, and some of them are remarkable-looking plants. So, Is yeah. that the plant that makes Zambuca? Uh, it's part of the ingredients thereof. Mm, okay. um, uh, so, yes, you can make alcoholic things out of it, which is quite good. Um, <laughs> but you can make all sorts of things with it. I mean, you can quite literally make cordials, champagnes, uh, fritters, where you just pick the flower, dip it in a beer batter and then 
Oh, fry them. right. And, and it has a handle because you've got the flower oh, stem. Like yeah, candy flowers. <laughs> yes, you yeah. can just pick up the, the. So I've had the fritters uh, before. They're fiddly, cool. and you've got to eat them as soon as you cook them. So they, you can't sort of make a plate of them and pass them around. And really, you're just eating batter, aren't you? Well, you really are. Yeah. 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 But yeah, anything batter tastes How good. Um, <laughs> and you can make out of the berries. Of course, you can make jams. You can make wine. You can make all sorts of things out of medicinal out of, things. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's very. It's got all sorts of medicinal purposes and. Above all else, elderflowers either, depending on where you come from in Europe, either keep away witches or it's a place <laughs> where witches' covens come to, to meet. That's excellent. Yeah, so, you know. Covers all bases. Oh, and panpipes. Keeps them away? No, you can oh. make panpipes oh. oh. from sandpipes. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, because they have hollow stems. So oh. you can make your own set of panpipes as well. So how, how good's that? All rounder. You can annoy all the neighbours. <laughs> the plant is an all rounder. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sorry bushes. I can't be more specific and say on the third Thursday of the month you do this. Uh, yes, no, we can't, we can't do that. No. And people need work. to learn that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But yeah, just feed your sand because they should be fine. Good. All right, Olivia, I hope that was helpful. Um, you are, everyone is listening to the three our gardening show this morning and we've got a caller. Uh-huh. I think we know this person. Good morning, Virginia. Hi, how are you? Oh, look, Good. we're having a super host meeting. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm locked down with a shocking cold. Oh, well, we don't want you here oh, then. No. <laughs> but two things. AD, I am so impressed with your rabbit story. Thank you. <laughs> I am so impressed. That is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And Stephen, I t- tried and I used to drink a lot of elderflower wine when I lived in, or champagne when I lived in Britain. Yeah. And when I came, first came back, I tried and tried to get an elderflower growing here and I'm elder and I found it really difficult. Yeah, I don't know what it, it is with your garden because there should be no I real reason why you couldn't. I think it was the drought. Yeah, actually. well, you know, 12 years I of drought I, doesn't help. <laughs> yes, I think I just couldn't get it through the summers. Hmm. But now I've got one, two, three, four of them growing. Good. So I expect so to come up and have elderflower champagne with you one day. Well, yes, I haven't got quite that far. I'm <laughs> And the other thing, last week I forgot to tell Sonia... <laughs> that the person that was on the week before with Stephen was Jane Tonkin of Tonkin Bulbs. Ah, yes. And the phone number is 97281295. But if you look at Tonkin, T-O-N-K-I-N, Tonkin Bulbs online, you'll find Jane and you'll find about her nursery and her farm. Good. So sorry, Sonia, that I didn't tell you last week when you asked. Better late than never, Virginia. Hopefully exactly, she's a forgiving type. Yeah, I did remember in the middle of the week. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. So thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, Virginia. You. Get better. We'll yes, talk get to better, you Virginia. Soon. Yes, take care. Bye. Bye. Um, couple of uh, callers coming in, but we did get a text message from Victor. Would like to know what the best time is to take chrysanthemum cuttings. No, oh. well, that's generally in the late or mid spring. You know, chrysanthemums start to come up in the spring like most perennials mm. do, and when they get up to in the old measurements about three or four inches tall, that's when you take your cuttings. Right. Um, put them into a straight sand or perlite mix. Put them under a jar or something like that to keep a bit of humidity around them, and they should strike in 
probably less than a fortnight. Brilliant. So they, they do strike very quickly, but you've got to start them early in the season when the chrysanthemums first start initiating their growth. Mm. There's no point in taking cuttings later in the year. They just don't seem to come to anything. So if you take them off while they're very young and, and small, then you'll still have those cuttings ready to flower in, the fall, in that same autumn. Right, so which, which is around about Mother's Day because they're a very popular yeah. Mother's yeah. Day yeah. flower. So it would make sense mid-spring yeah. to take cuttings. Yeah, that's right. And then right. you'll have them in flower for the autumn. Yep. Um, and uh, they're a nice old-fashioned flower that you don't see in people's gardens so much anymore. No, you um, don't see in the garden. No, in I've got one in the garden at home, and I don't know what its name is. It's a little dwarf one. It only grows to probably about half a metre. I'm mm. sure it has your name, Stephen. Yeah, it probably does. It sees me coming with the spade. <laughs> um, and it has... Cute little double pink flowers on it, and it flowers for months and months and months and months and months. And and it's just a seriously useful little plant, and I just go through and dig it up and break it up and shift it around. And um, I got it from a nursery friend of mine, actually, and he was calling it something, but I think it it wasn't actually an appropriate cultivar name. I think it was just, you know, sort of Bob's Pink or something (laughs) that that he made up or somebody else made up, and he's just stuck with it. Great for marketing. Uh, Yeah, yes. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I think they're nice, and there's something about the smell of a chrysanthemum, which I quite like, that sort of smell of the foliage. I don't think I've ever smelt them properly, because the ones that you buy from a florist, they don't smell, so I don't think I've ever smelt a proper chrysanthemum. No, it's the leaves, though. You've got to brush the leaves or crush the leaves. It's like oh. walking past a tomato plant. Yeah, okay. You, know, mm. you get that smell of yeah, the tomatoes. Yeah. Yep. The one thing you don't want with chrysanthemums is to leave them in water too long when you've got them as cut flowers. I still have memories of, because oh, my family used to own stink. a florist shop years mm. ago, and cleaning the water of the stocks or the, the stocks. chrysanthemums. The I was going to say the stocks. Ah, it stunk beyond yes, belief if you didn't clean the water regularly. <laughs> uh, they were the most gross, disgusting things, and of course the leaves would start to rot on the bottoms of the stems really quickly. Yep. So it was Slimy and uh, I still have very vivid memories of our florist shop, and some of them aren't good. (laughs) Actually, you just reminded me. What was that plant that I texted you about that I was trying to think of the name of that really one with the big flowers? Another old-fashioned one. Was it a zinnia? No, 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 not a zinnia. They're really pretty and sort of blousy, and they come in. AB, these are horrific descriptions. Yeah, yeah. You're (laughs) worse than most of my clients. (laughs) (laughs) Quite muted, sort of pinks and stuff. And ah, come on, not a, not a. um, Look up the text messages. It's one of the herbaceous perennials, and they use them in the borders and. Do you remember I texted you? You did. And then finally I got the name of it myself. And now you've got now, it again now anyway. Got, oh no, better go through our messages. <laughs> yeah. While yeah. I tell listeners that they are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show, and I will throw out those numbers, our phone numbers again. So to join us on air, it's 94190155, and the outside line is 94198377. And we do have another caller. Um, it seems to be the three CR panelists and hosts calling in this morning. <laughs> Good morning, John from Bond Beach. Uh, it's yep, it's John. John from Bond Beach. It's John hey, Arnott. Good morning. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to have a shout out. Um, the thirtieth of May today yes. is Botanic Gardens Day. Um, now, so what, what's happening with um, botanic gardens in Victoria today? Oh well, oh, well, isn't that a shame? Yeah. Botanic, yeah. So, if you live within five in metropolitan Melbourne, if you live within five k of the botanic garden, go and visit it. Um, uh, but yeah, look, it's just an opportunity to uh, acknowledge the role of botanic gardens across Australia and New Zealand. 
there is, um, I guess, the event um, component of today uh, across the network is a, um, a panel discussion, which is at midday today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to find out that information, you just go to the Began's web- website, which is uh, www.begans.org.au. Um, but it's a really interesting panellist this year. We've got um, Suzanne Thompson, who's an Indigenous woman from Queensland, uh, who's talking about Australian native food and botanicals. And um, yeah, really, really interesting um, uh, perspective on on uh, growing Indigenous plants and for food and produce and the like. Georgina Reed, the plant hunter. Uh, Dr. Peter Buchanan, who's a mycologist, he's a fungi man. Mm. Uh, fun guy to go out with. Fun guy, he's a fun guy. <laughs> well done, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a Kiwi. Uh, James Beatty from the Wollongong Botanic Garden, who's the Living Collections Curator there, and I think Wollongong uh, is celebrating its 50th year this year. Um, and a good mate of mine, Ricardo Samejo, who's um, Manager of Environmental Systems at the uh, at the Cranbourne Gardens, and he's oh. going to be talking about gardens for wildlife. He takes some fantastic things. photos on Instagram, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Oh, he's a, a gifted photographer. He Ricardo. is. He really is. Yeah, That's a pretty good um, line-up on that panel, John. Just tell us how people could potentially get onto um, that that sh- yep, well, there's, show there's panel two, and listen to it. There's two mechanisms. There's a, um, uh, a YouTube from the Wollongong Botanic Gardens, uh, there's uh, the Began's Facebook page, mm-hmm. um, and you'd pick that up at begans.org.au or just uh, if you're in the Facebook, um, search for Began's, uh, and it's po- it's hosted by Costa, so um, he's also going to, it'll be broadcast on yep. Costa's uh, Facebook as well. And Began's is spelt B-G-A-N-Z. Yes, and stands for Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand. Beautiful. Thank you so for calling Happy Botanic up, Gardens Day. Happy Botanic Gardens Day. Have you got um, any botanic gardens in your 5K radius? Uh, any I've locals? I 5.9. <laughs> oh, you just just dip out. Pity you yeah. can't count. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the uh, the Pentland Botanic Gardens, uh, George Pentland at Frankston, that's that's within five k's of Bond Beach, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, we we believe yeah. you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can, folks, get out, get out into your um your local botanic garden. Um, but uh, it, it, yeah, there's a there's a, a really interesting live stream at, at midday today. So yeah. that might be of interest to to, to listeners. Absolutely. I tuned into the one last year. I think we were still in lockdown then last year. It was fantastic. And there's a, the lineup today is really really um there's some big hitters there. So there's some big, there's yeah, it'd be big, great. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, thank you for letting us know about that. Not, not at all, and enjoying the show. Sounds, sounds great. Thanks so much, John. We'll Good talk to you John. soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. John. Bye. Bye. All right, that phone number again is nine four one nine zero one double five, or the outside line is nine four one nine eight three double seven. You are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and in the studio this morning, we are live. Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants is with me, and A.B. Bishop 
author and horticulturalist is with me as well. And all-round superstar. And all-round superstar. superstar. And viral YouTube <laughs> sensation, Stephen. Yeah, 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 sorry, right, exactly, guys. Yes. How's that going, Stephen? That's going really well. And for those who have, have been living under a rock for the last few months, uh, if you're looking for it, it's called The Haughty Slash Culturalists. Uh, and I know it's supposed to be horticulturalists. Yes. But we're playing on words here. So if we're playing on words, we're going the whole hog. Go see your so, life. yeah, so haughty culturalists with a hyphen in between. Um, and uh, we post every Friday. So we're very busy uh, making sure yeah. that there's something interesting going up. Because doing that stuff takes a, a uh, lot of time. It does. Well, Matthew, the guy I work with, who's, who's the techno head, he knows how to put it together, film it, edit it, all that stuff. Mm. And he's been. Fantastic, and and the reason why I started with a YouTube channel because I've often thought it's something I should do, but I didn't have the technical skills yeah. to do it. So he has all of that, plus the fact that he enjoys standing in front of a camera, and we both have the same sense of warped humour. Um, <laughs> and so we will film probably two or three segments in a day, depending on what we're filming, and we do a plant profile, or we'll do some practical thing, uh, or we'll do a bit of horticultural eye candy and go out and visit a garden. Um, and my plan is to make sure that the YouTube channel does the sort of the sort of things that push people a little bit. Something you know, some weird and interesting plants, some some slightly more in depth technical things, or or slightly wacky things that other people don't think to do. Mm. And also, if we go out and visit a garden, the idea is not to go out and just go, isn't it pretty? You know, it's got to have a storyline. Mm, yeah. So so we did one on Alton, one of our big Mount Macedon gardens last week um, and it's one of the most important hill station gardens in the country uh, and uh, it's got such a wonderful history and I've got a really long connection with it from mm. the age of 10 um, so it also had a bit of personal stuff throughout the, the story as well and I think it went really well I was really pleased with it so it's going really well and obviously we say this on the um, on the programs if you want to get involved please subscribe please pre press like Press the alert button so that you'll know each week when the when the piece comes up. And share, of course, mm. so let everybody know. Mm. So if we're going to keep doing this at some point or another, we've got to start dragging some advertisers in. Mm. And you only get that when the algorithms start to come together, where you've got enough viewers, enough viewed hours, and all the things sort of come together. But it's, it's coming along really well, and it's good fun. And uh, so this last one we did was uh, the highly... Um, Interesting Brugs, Brugmansia mm. sanguinea. Mm. Uh, and we talk about its uh, potential issues in a garden as well as its beauty and, and why we should grow it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you just keep apparently young teenage men away from it is the main <laughs> thing. Uh, they seem to be the ones that seem to be adventurous with things they shouldn't touch. Yeah. Oh, uh, boys. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's Darwinism at its peak, really, personally, <laughs> but there you go. Um, so, yeah, so we're having fun doing the YouTube thing, and it's, I'm enjoying getting back in front of a camera, even if it is only a mobile phone. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. so it's good fun. Most of the segments go for about 10 minutes, um, some Perfect. nearly 20, uh, depending on what the story is, mm. um, and, and you'll see some really strange plants that you wouldn't ordinarily see. So, mm. you know, I want to engage with plants that people have never seen before, and yeah. I think that's that's really the fun thing about it, because I can. I mean, there's no commercial imperative to talk about something I'm necessarily yeah. flogging by the hundreds. Um, in fact, there's no imperative for me to talk about a plant that's even available commercially, as long as it's here. Mm. You know, that's the fun, you know. And, and it, Or even if it's not here. 
yeah. it's still about learning. Well, that's it? the other thing yeah. too is where that you know once the borders open up again and I start travelling again and taking tours and things again, I'm hoping to do a little bit of my own not-so-steady-handed uh, footage that we can include into some of our videos in, in yeah, years to fantastic. come as well. Yeah. So there'll be a little bit of an overseas thing. And the other long-term plan too is, is to go out and interview specialists in certain specific groups of plants as well. So we'll go out and we'll talk to people who are really good at growing whatever yeah, uh, yeah. and do that as well. So, yeah, yeah look, it's, it's good fun and I'm hoping people will engage with it. I mean, cost you nothing to subscribe. Mm. Um, and... Um, uh, most of us listen to things like 3CR because we want to hit a gardening. Well, there's just another one out there now. Yeah. You know, mm. so that's what we're about. So you shoot, what, for a day a week, that sort yeah. of thing? Well, about a day a fortnight, we try a and get three or four segments yeah. down. Yeah. I have to say, we're up to our last actual completed segment and we were supposed to be doing some filming this week. <laughs> and of course, Matthew and I can't get together because of the lockdown. Uh-huh. So we've got one that he can edit and put out to air next week. Uh, we've got lots of bits of segments that we're doing, but some of them are things that are going to be long-term things that we want to get at different seasons. Yeah. Like I'm doing a long-term one on cyclamen species. And so you need to film the autumn ones, the winter ones, the spring ones. So you've virtually got to cover the whole year yes. before you can put that segment together and put it to air. Mm. Uh, and so we've got lots of bits, but Nothing that can make a segment out of much yet. So I'm hoping like mad that this thing does finish by next Friday so that we can get together and, in a big hurry, film something that he can put to air that week. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's all a little bit nerve-wracking. But anyhow, we'll get there. Um, and, and it's fun in the meantime. We're having a great deal of fun with it. And is that Matthew's job? Uh, Matthew for... actually went through one of the... Um, art things, NIDA or Whopper yep. or one of those yep. places, and he's... Interest is mainly in production and directing yeah. and all that sort of stuff, but he's always wanted to do something where he had control, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in this case he does. Yeah. So <laughs> it's fantastic. And he's also a very enthusiastic amateur gardener. And so what happens is, um, you know, we sort of get together and we josh about each other a bit, and then we, we Matthew sort of directs the questions because he's the amateur gardener who wants to know. Yeah. I'm supposed to be the professional who knows. Mm-hmm. And so he directs questions. So he talks to me about where a plant comes from, why it's called that, what its name means, uh, how big it grows, what its cold tolerances are. The big issue we do have with YouTube, of course, is that you've got to talk to an international market too. So we regularly have to engage with whether you could grow it in England or America and, you know, Ooh, yeah, all that sort of okay. stuff as well. So it's because we've already got, um, viewers in Wisconsin and uh, and Sussex and all over the place. So we've got people from yeah, all over the world. You'd be fine with that, though. You know where stuff grows. Yeah, well, sort of. And, and we can give general sort yep. of uh, information on those sorts of things. And, and I love saying to people, those of you in England could grow it in your orangery. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted an orangery. Yeah, oh, yes, I love the sound of oh, having one delightful. of those. Yeah. When I become rich and famous from doing 3CR, <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's my big plan is to, be, is to build an orangery. Yeah, well, we're getting double time today, aren't we, Kyle? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, quadruple yeah. time. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Sunday, <laughs> lockdown, freezing cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's triple. Yeah. <laughs> Inexperience. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So, yeah, so it's great fun. We're having a lot of fun with it. So please, everybody, you know, find it, the horticulturalists and uh, uh, or the horticulturalists and um, subscribe, please. So we'd love to have you on board. So Good. there you go. That's my answer how, how can people contact you on socials or uh, Habitat Guru? Habitat Guru. Yeah, the on, Guru on on Habitat. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Unless you come to Karanga and... 
Heckler. Wave at me. <laughs> She's there every day of the week. No. <laughs> Friday and Saturday. If you want to come down and talk native plants, come mm-hmm. down on a Friday or Saturday. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're going to be back this week. Is yeah. Karanga doing click and collect this week? No, no, just total shutdown. Yeah, yeah I've done yeah, the same just, thing. I've yeah, just not closed worth the it gate. for a it's, week. Uh, I mean, I'm actually behind the gate having a lot of fun doing some weeding and potting and, and, and not being interrupted, which sounds ridiculous because that's why you're there. You're there to be interrupted so mm. people can spend money. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just having a quiet week at, at work. I just yeah. go and lock myself behind the gate and uh, and just do stuff. Yes. And it's I'm a... actually answering the phone. People have been ringing. I made a couple of phone orders. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So I, I'll, as long as it doesn't go on too long, I'll live through this with a plum. It's amazing yes. how much you rest psychologically when mm. that when you go into lockdown, isn't it? All of a sudden there's just nothing to do. I think I'm except relax. We're in good positions where we have jobs that we can go back to yeah. and have jobs mm. and I was pretty excited for lockdown the other day when they because <laughs> it. uh, it's been a bit hectic lately but you have been doing a lot of tours with your students oh they're the they're the bomb <laughs> <laughs> you just learn so much when you actually get out mm. into a garden yep. so I've taken my diploma of horticulture students and the cert threes and the cert four horticulture students on a few excursions lately I wanted to show them the different types of well macro-ish micro-ish climates that we have in Melbourne so we went up to the Dandenong Ranges Mm. and went to a number of gardens in the Dandenong Ranges at Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden which used to be the National Rhododendron Garden Alfred Nicholas to see the beautiful ginkgos and Kalwara native garden so that the students could see cool climate gardens you know it's they get Average 1,500 mil of rainfall a year, you know, average less, five degrees less than um, suburban Melbourne yep. and city Melbourne. Contrast that with the other place that we've taken them to is Melton Botanic yeah. Gardens. That That's gets, a fascinating oh place, Melton. Oh, my God, it's it so fabulous? good. So if you look good morning, at the, John. Yeah, you <laughs> will be listening. If you look at Melton compared to the Dandenong Ranges, uh, Melton doesn't get any more than... 450, 500 mil of rainfall mm. a year. So Daniel Rangers gets one metre more rainfall a year. And it's, you know, it's a it's a plain. It's the Victorian volcanic mm. plain. So there's no topography. And the climate is very, very different. It gets pretty darn hot and dry mm. in in summer. And wanted we wanted to show students how to garden in those different climates what plants and what plants will grow in those areas as well. Yeah. Um, and just can't explain that with a PowerPoint slide. And some photos. <laughs> no, no, you've got to take them out. You've got to get out. And um, learning, I mean, I go to, I ne- we all never stop learning. We all go to open gardens mm. when, when you can and yep. talking to your friends. We're all in different areas of Melbourne, yep. the three of us, and just sort of working out little intricacies of all those sorts of things. So you just need to get out and mm. go there. And, yeah, that's couldn't do that last year. No. So, yeah, we have done we have done a few excursions this year and it's been super fun. As a student, I just absolutely love the excursions because mm. everyone learns differently, don't you? Yep. You learn a certain amount from text and everything, but then mm-hmm. when you get out and you see it and you feel it and you smell it, yep. it just sort of imprints on your mind in a different way. It's a different type of learning, and, yeah, it totally imprints yep. on your mind differently. You're making mm-hmm. observations yep. and and um, your own, bringing up your own conclusions from what you've learnt in class about soils, climate, 
rainfall, blah, 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 and going out and seeing those different parameters and making some observations and conclusions, it's like, oh, well, that's growing there because of, yeah. you know, low rainfall, yep. higher temperatures. I wish I'd had more of that when I was a student doing horticulture. We seem to visit a lot of golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> if I see another, another green or... Whatever. Oh. Turf. What's another monoculture? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, when I did horticulture way back in the dark ages, it was called gardening and turf management oh. was what the actual course was called. Oh. And so turf management had a, a fairly large component. component of it. Mm. And I can't think of anything more boring. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so we visited golf clubs and the occasional crematorium. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Chloe, you used to work down at school. I did. I used yeah. to teach yeah. a cert yeah. program. That's amazing yeah. down yeah. there. Yeah, the horticulture yeah. that goes in there, but not we didn't focus on the crematorium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Springvale Botanic Cemetery is quite botanical. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, good. it's amazing. And so is Melton. Like, I went there mm. the first time probably about a month ago now with Loretta, who mm. comes on here occasionally as well. And literally, we spent three hours just running around going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, with all the WA plants. It was, can I just say, Melton, can you please just get rid of the South Africa section? Oh, don't be like that. (laughs) Get rid of the South Africa section. Actually, the South African section is the section where people nick things from all the time. Good, they can nick them all. No, they can't. I've been helping them get their South African section in order. Uh, I think it's quite good, though, that they are looking at the world because they've got a really interesting Mediterranean section as well. Yeah. And there's... South American, uh, South American section is also coming along now. Oh. So, yeah. Didn't the South that. African one would stand out more because of the big aloes and all that sort of stuff. But the Otherwise other... known as aloes. Yeah. Aloes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> as I say it, to my students, Latin is a dead language. You can pronounce it however way you want. But yeah, if it sounds totally. funny, we will laugh. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, when I get people coming in and asking if I grow gazaneas, um, it takes me a while to think it through. Oh, yeah. yes. yes, I've had that quite a few times. And of course, when people get really thingy about the pronunciation of botanical names, I, I start getting on my high horse about it. And I actually have a little tiny story I'll tell, which is very funny. Um, there was a couple of uh, brother and sister team in the Dandenongs, uh, the Gordons, and what they didn't know about alpine plants wasn't worth knowing. They were really highly intelligent people. They knew everything, and they basically started the Alpine Garden Society up in the Dandenongs. And I joined when I was very young, and um, I went to a few meetings and found found myself daunted by the Gordons. They were just frighteningly mm. knowledgeable. Uh, but they had like no the sense Elliot. of humour. Mm. Yeah, like the Elliots. <laughs> no sense of humour with the Gordons, though. And I remember Not Philip like Gordon got up one day and he said, I've been doing some research on this business about cyclamen and cyclamen, he said. <laughs> and you do all know, of course, that um, the, the word comes from the group kukul for a circle because the seed heads pull down into a spiral, so it's circular. So we probably should be saying Kuklaman. <laughs> at which point I nearly completely lost it and I got up in the back of the audience. I don't know how I had the temerity at the time, but anyhow I did. And I said, that's fantastic, Philip. The next time I'm by Kukling past your place, I'll come and have a look at your collection. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so some people do take it to extremes. Yes. And this Clivia Clivia thing. Uh, oh, I knew you were going to bring that yeah, up. It's named after Lady Clive. I'm sticking to Clivia. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, I was taught when I was doing my horticulture, and I don't know how true this is, but my old nomenclature teacher said if it was a commemorative name, mm. then you should pronounce it as close as possible to the original pronunciation of the name. Mm-hmm. 
but with a Latin ending. So hence Clivia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes logical sense. So, but then you've got to say Dahlia, not Dahlia. Then mm. you've got to say Fuchsia, not Fuchsia. Um, and so it does get a little complex mm. if you're going to go down that. And, and Marnia instead of Mahonia. No, I can't, no, yeah, I can't yeah, get so around it, that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does get a little yeah, complex. But, okay. um, but I'll stick with Clivia because it was named after Lady Clive. That's it wasn't fair named enough. after Lady Cliv. What about, <laughs> what about Clematis or Clematis? Well, see, that, that's not a commemorative. That's something else. I would say Clematis because the other thing I was taught was that you shouldn't try and emphasise the syllables in a botanic name. So, so Clematis flows, whereas Clematis... There's an A, long there's A. A. Yeah, there's a long A in it, so there's an emphasis. So I would tend to try to pronounce something without that emphasis. Yeah. And, of course, when you see a CH in Latin, you're supposed to pronounce it as K. So you don't say chinomalies, you say canomalies. And you don't say chiloe, you say chloe. Chloe, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, see, see, yeah, see, yeah. even your name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there are some things out there that people see as rules, but most of them don't. Oh, really there's nothing. really and no it's what you, it's what you first hear, it's how you're taught, and but sometimes also when you read something oh, and you have it in your head words. and then you hear it out loud and it's like, oh, that's weird, like, Aleogeny versus I was so glad you brought that name up. I was going to try to. What do you say? I say Aleogyne. Yeah, I say Aleogyne. Yeah, well, see, Aleogyne would flow better too if you're going to talk about the pronunciation with the emphasis on syllables. Aleogyne puts quite a strong emphasis on syllables. Yeah. uh, Whereas Aleogyne doesn't. Or Aleogyne. Aleogyne. I've heard people pronounce Korea, Korea. I'm like, no, no, Correa. <laughs> Sometimes they get a right, well, it's named after somebody, so how was his name pronounced? There we, we could go back there. Yeah. Mm. I don't oh, know. No, no right or wrong. Just, no. No just right say it, wrong. just plant it. But, Chloe, you're dead right. If somebody has a really wacky, interesting pronunciation <laughs> for something, it gives us something to laugh well, about. Yeah. <laughs> um, Philotheca, I, mm. at, when I was at TAFE, I, one of my teachers must have said Philotheca. Yeah. And so for years and years and years, I said Philothica. And I, I got to the Botanic Gardens and we were talking at Cranbourne and we were talking about, obviously, plants one day. And I said Philothica. And Warren Warboys, the curator of horticulture there, just laughed at me <laughs> <laughs> so hard. And he, um, every time I see him, he says Philothica because he just thought it was – he obviously never heard it pronounced like that before and just – thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. But the stupid thing about it is we, we get all thinking about pronunciations, but if you go to other countries that don't have English as their first language, they go uh, attack it in a completely yeah, different direction. Absolutely. So you'll go to, to Japan or you'll go to Germany or somewhere and they'll be talking botanical names, which we're supposed to be able to wa- talk about. International wa- language. Internationally. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be pronouncing the name in a completely different yeah. way than we Anglo-Saxony types mm, do. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, you've, you've just got to do your best. By the way, I say Philotheca. I do say Philotheca now. Oh, I said Philotheca before. Yeah, I say Philotheca. Yeah, yeah. I I don't say Philotheca anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But you could. Cotton Easter. Cotton Easter. Cotton Easter. Uh. And and a lot of time, also, when you're a student, you pronounce it so that you can remember how to spell it. You pronounce it phonetically. Yeah. 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 So it's not Mm. Cotton Easter. It's Cotton Easter. Cotton Easter. Cotton Easter. Yeah, yeah, that one. (laughs) You know what name took me ages to get to whip my tongue around? Um... Hakia. I used to just say Hakia or I don't know what I said. It took me ages to 
teach myself hackier, how to... that's interesting, because it's such a short yeah. botanical. Well, I think I used to say hackier, or, oh, I don't know. Yeah, when, I, when you, you get Metasequoia glyptostroboides, I could sort of understand oh, the issue. But. I love, that's one of my favourite plant names in the it's world, It's a great name, one. isn't it? It oh. just has this wonderful rollingness <laughs> about it. Yeah. I, I just love it. Oh, dear. It and just, we could go on forever We could go on forever. Names, they are my fa- one of my favourite topics. I adore plant names. If people haven't realised already, they are listening to the Three Star Gardening Show. Stephen Ryan and A.B. Bishop are in with me, Chloe Foster, or Chloe Foster. Chloe, <laughs> If you want to speak to us and tell us your lockdown gardening plans this week, uh, the number is 94190155, or the outside line to speak to Doug or Karina is 94198377. Stephen. All right, let's it talk about a, some plants. Yep, let's, I, let's I filled get on the to studio them. up with plants, so we might as well talk about some of them. And my topic of the week, and we may deviate off it a bit, but my topic of the week is neotropical blueberries. Beautiful. So there you go. Neotropical blueberries. blueberries. Yes. Okay. And I haven't had yes. breakfast yet, so... Well, you might get some breakfast just, just shortly. Good. Um, now, they're a group of ericaceous plants, so they're in the erica family, so that means they're related to azaleas, rhododendrons, uh, ericas, of course. And the heaths. Uh, the papyrus. Uh, yep. And the heaths and things. Um, and they tend to grow in the mountains in the neotropical ranges around the world. When you say neotropical, explain that term. Well, it's, it's, it's a little hard to explain, really. It's, New tropics? Yeah, it's, it, well, it's all the tropics around the world, but it's... it's in, between uh, the, in between the tropic lines? Yeah, it's sort of got to do with the, the temperate tropical sort of levels and things. So they're not really tropical, even though they come from the tropics. But because they're higher up in altitude, yeah. it's cooler. It's cooler. Yeah. Doesn't mean, of course, that these plants are completely cold-hardy. A lot of yeah. them aren't. Um, but there's some that come from the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. There's some that come from uh, northern parts of South America. Uh, so Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, all those sort of areas. Uh, there's a whole range of them that come from New Guinea. Um, we have one from northern Australia, which I'll talk about. Um, and I'm, I've become sort of passionate about them, it, which is a bit silly because some of them aren't quite cold hardy enough for Macedon during the winter, mm. so I have to take them into the greenhouse for the winter, mm. uh, which is something I swear I swore years ago I'd never start growing things that were, were not cold-hardy enough for my climate. <laughs> but I broke my rule, as per usual, so that's <laughs> what they're there for. Um, and so some of them I have to take indoors, although I'm surprised at just how hardy some of them have turned out to be. So this is a bit of a trial run going on here. Many of them are lithophytic or epiphytic in the wild, so they grow on the sides of rocks or up in forks of trees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they make fantastic container plants mm. because they don't have particularly big root systems. So you can have them in a hanging basket or a pot and they can last for donkey's years. Many of them produce lignotubers, so they get these big swollen bases to the base of them, which becomes part of the interest of the plant. And a lignotuber is an underground storage system yeah, of which nutrients. often sits up above the ground fractionally. Yeah. Some of the agapetes from the Himalayas, which are in this group, do in fact get enormous lignotubers. Mm. Uh, so that can be quite interesting. Their foliage is generally lovely. Many of them are sort of scandent shrubs. 
So they're, they're, they're not quite climbers in the true sense of the word, but they'll work their way up through things mm. uh, and just sort of flop over the top of if stuff. If there's something there, it'll grab onto yeah. it. Uh, and so hence they do make particularly good hanging basket subjects for the, because of their habit. Well, they Ma- do look quite glorious, what you brought in this morning. They, the yep. foliage is generally lovely. I'd grow most of these things for their leaves alone. Yeah. Uh, and their new growth is often beautifully coloured. Uh, and if we, the only one I bought in that's got serious flowers on it is this one from New Guinea, mm, um, which um, is the most exquisite pink trumpet flower with a slightly darker flower to it. And they're heavy. They're, they're tessellated next to each other, like they're tiled next yeah, to each other as and, well. And they're very thick and waxy and they mm. weigh a lot. You know, holding that in your hand, you think, my God, there's a huge amount of weight in that. Mm. Um, and this is a thing called a dimorphanthera. Oh. Yes, Dimorphanthera alpina uh, from New Guinea. Uh, I've got three Dimorphantheras in my collection now, two of which I haven't got names for yet. This is the only one I've ID'd at this point in time. I've still got to flower the other two, uh, and that might help. Um, <laughs> but there's, I think there's something like 35 Dimorphanthera species in Papua New Guinea right. and Irian Jaya and all that part of the world, and most of them grow fairly high up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And so they're comparatively cool tolerant. They just don't like frost and things on them. Mm. Um, so they're really interesting. Uh, the agapetes from the South America, I just bought down a little sprig of an agapetes in flower. Uh, this one's agapetes hossiana from the Himalayas. And it gets little red tubular flowers. And if you look really closely, the tips of the trumpets have got a sort of a burgundy bit around the trumpet. Burgundy. And then the actual flared out little petally bits are green. Mm. So it's it's quite a, an intriguing little thing, and that's that just makes a nice little bush. Mm. Um, and it's bear, and by the way, they are all blueberries, so they're all edible, uh, which is the other interesting thing about them. And Hosiana has pure white berries with pink spots. Oh, lovely! And they taste exactly like blueberries, basically bland and nothing. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they are all edible, so that's sort of part of the fun of collecting. Do them. you get much fruit off them? No, they're pick and browse things. Yeah, you know. So I mean, if you had a huge plant of some of these. I mean, that Dimorphanthra in the wild in New Guinea can grow 30 feet up through a tree. Yeah. So it can get quite It'll just huge. keep going if yeah. it's got something. Yeah, yeah. So it could get quite big. Uh, and so I would imagine that a really big old one would actually produce crops of berries that would be usable. Mm. Uh, but most of these things are ones that I have around the garden that I just pick as, as I'm walking past um, uh, if I feel the need. Um, so, yeah, so the Agapetes is another big genus and it comes from mainly the Himalayan region mm. um, and there's probably, I don't know, I'm guessing a bit, but around about 60 or 80 species in the, in the genus um, and it included one from northern Queensland which always seemed odd to me, yeah. seeing as most of them were Himalayan. And so there was an Agapetes from Mount Finnegan and some of the other mountaintops in uh, northern Queensland, which was called Agapetes meniana. Now, recently, and John Arnott would agree with me on this, I think, it's had an, well, it's gone back to an old name because uh. Baron von Mueller actually named this plant way back, and it wasn't Agapetes when he named it. Mm. Um, he called it Paphia, P-A-P-H-I-A, mm. Paphia meniana. Uh, and most of the powers that be at the moment have decided to put it back into its own genus of Paphia. Um, now, this has a tubular flower that's probably in the old measurements about an inch long, mm-hmm. very waxy. It's a sort of a, a lovely, soft, dusty cherry pink with a white tip, and it produces... Oh, that's a bit manky, that berry. AB uh, can have that one. All right, AB can have that one. Uh, that is the berry. This I is edible, Stephen. 
Pardon? Is this edible? Yeah. Would I lie to you? <laughs> uh, I thought I had two in here, but now I can't find the other one. Oh, bummer. Oh, there's one that's not ripe. That's no good. I thought I had another one. All right, what does it taste like? Um. Oh, yes, no, there is another one. There is another one. Here we go. Yes. You don't miss out. Quite sweet. Oh, after all, Chloe, try that. Thank quite you. sweet. And they're quite nice. big. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the size of a really good-sized blueberry. Oh, they're juicy. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of juice oh, in them. No oh, Oh, there should be a pip yeah. in there somewhere. Little red pippy things? Yeah. Yeah, so this it's is nice. Paphia meniana. Now, it's reasonably cold hardy. Anywhere you could grow the native rhododendron, rhododendron locky or mm. rhododendron viriosum, because mm-hmm. we do have two, mm-hmm. and people don't realise that. We do have two rhododendrons in Australia, uh, and generally speaking, one of them is misnamed as the other one. I was going to uh, say, the, yeah. in the nursery trade, I think they're all... They're, yeah, all, they're, all, all, they're all just one. Lucky yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky yeah, yeah. Go. But there definitely are two different species out there. I, I agree with the Rhododendron Society on that one. Um, so the paffia, I had one in the garden which eventually died to drought, unfortunately, but it was growing at the base of a big old messmate gum tree and it had worked its way through the bark. You know how messmates mm, yeah, have yeah. quite loose bark mm-hmm. on the outside. And it had got itself up to about 12 or 15 feet up the um, messmate and then for some reason or another I didn't water it enough or something and it just dried out and died. Um, and it was a mass of flowers. It had this beautiful new growth on it uh, and it just looked fantastic growing up the side of the tree. Um, I'm going to have another crack at it again actually when I've got a spare plant to put in. Um, and um, uh, I think it's a really pretty and, and different and interesting native plant. Yeah. So, so Paphia meniana. So I've got things in, in all sorts of weird genera. There's a, a plant from Costa Rica called Maclenia, uh, which is in the same group, and mm. it gets tubular red and white flowers and edible berries on it. Um, I've got a thing called a Dysterygma, which has tiny little leaves and makes this gorgeous thing in a hanging basket, this little droopy plant. I haven't flowered my Dysterygma yet, but it gets little white Lily of the Valley-like flowers on it, apparently, uh, and again, followed by edible berries. Um, so this whole group of plants is out there, and we know almost nothing about it. Mm. There's l- nobody's growing them commercially, really. The paffia, so, I don't know, is, is um, no, Karenga no, growing paffia? They're not, more grown, no. they're not grown more up in Queensland? I don't think so. Far north, right. Because... They come from the mountains, so they don't grow in the tropical parts of Queensland, which is where most of the people live. Righto. So, gotcha. so they're not really going to do terribly well there. Mm. Um, and this is just the sort of Australian native plant I like to grow because nobody else is doing it. Mm. So mm. it sort of fits into my range of a rare and interesting plant. It's really yes. quite uh, lush looking as well. Yeah, they're it, very it, lush. It doesn't have that sort of dry look about it that it's we It's a lily pilly leaf look. Actually, the foliage Doesn't is like a lily, yeah. but, but it's larger really lily heavy. pilly leaves. Yeah. The the leaves are really thick and yeah. heavy, Beautiful. and thick but thick stems too, yeah. oh, kind yeah. of waxy. Yeah, and really nice. It's a really good plant. So Paphia meniana, um, and as far as I know, Paphia only has the one species. Um, uh, but if it was included back in with Agapetes at some stage along the track with all those. Himalayan things, There's which doesn't lot. seem logical. There's quite a lot of them. Mm. Um, and, and how old is that one in your pot? That plant is probably about two and a half, three years old. Okay. It's not that slow growing. I mean, all that new growth you can see there, all those big long shooty bits, that's all this season's growth on it. Yeah. And it's still growing. It hasn't slowed down even though the cool weather's set in. Uh, so it's still It's really growing. nice. And We're looking at the base of the plant there. It's quite... It looks quite established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's starting to old. get quite a bit of sort of age look to it. Yeah. But most of these things do quite, grow quite quickly. That Dimorphanthera is probably only three or four years old from a cutting. It, uh, they sort of... 
when you brought them in, they kind of looked like a shiny, waxy bougainvillea or something. Yeah, the foliage, type of foliage. That's what, but not that. quite, and that's why I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah, yeah well, they, they certainly are something that just intrigues me. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm always on the lookout, and every so often something will show up on social media of some weird neotropical blueberry from somewhere I hadn't even thought about. Like, oh, I want that. <laughs> uh, and some of them have the most beautiful flowers. There was one the other day in a genus I'd never heard of, something like... Uh, Cynelsia or something or another and it had tubular red flowers with yellow stripes down it and a white tip and uh, it came from somewhere weird that I hadn't even thought about neotropical blueberries coming from but anyhow it was one of that group Mm. and so there's a whole world of them out there and I want them Mm. (laughs) I have to say Ericaceae is quite amazing family isn't it? I mean when you think of the the huge range mm. of plants. I'm thinking like Dracophyllum secundum, mm-hmm. that really sort of um, sort of looks like a richia. If anyone knows richia, almost um, oh, just uh, dinosaur like, like yeah, plant. Jurassic plant. They, they yeah, sort of look like short leafed cordyline. Yeah, totally. Something. You know, they're really weird. And then they group. throw up this beautiful Erica flower, and it really sort of surprises you. Mm. Just yeah, and they're spread. All throughout the world. Oh, yeah. So yeah, in the, Australia... The family is pretty impressive. used to be a different family for the Australian Ericas. used to be called Apacridaceae, and we've still got Apacris genus and yep. a lot of other genera. But I don't know how long ago got all got lumped back into Ericaceae it and it's widespread. Ago, it wasn't. I, you know, I think it was comparatively recently that it was less than Definitely less than 10 because mm. it was Apacridaceae when I was mm. studying. And, then and it was back in the dark way. ages when I was studying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So it is, a, it is a recent flip back to... Ericaceae. Yeah. 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 So, no, th- I think it's a wonderful and interesting family of plants. Mm. Uh, most of them like acidic soils. Uh, so, if you're potting them up, use a, uh, an acid potting mix. Um, uh, the Australian one doesn't seem to need an Australian type fertilizer. I just use ordinary yeah. slow release fertilizers yeah. and things. And it does, a, lot, a lot of the Australian ones have like a mycorrhizal soil association. Is it? Like you've obviously struck cuttings with some of these other things. I don't know. Right. Um, Certainly, I haven't had to think about anything like that. I've just grown them in my normal way, and they just seem to grow. Uh, Most of them are comparatively easy to propagate from cuttings. Uh, I've never tried raising any of them from seed, Um, and you wouldn't bother if you can strike something from cuttings reasonably quickly. And And if the berries are yummy to eat, like. There yeah. goes the seeds. Yeah, well, that's right, exactly, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so I think the neotropical blueberries are fun. Like them. And, and I think that the, the New Guinean dimorphanthras, if I could get every species of dimorphanthra, <laughs> I, would, I would go there. Beautiful. And you've yeah. got to remember, of course, New Guinea was part of Australia for a while. Well, I think it we're still on the same tectonic plate, so, yeah, yeah. yeah they're Australian. And I still remember seeing Varea rhododendrons in the uh, office up at the National Botanic Gardens in um, Canberra. When New oh, Guinea was part of Australia's, uh, uh, we were in charge. It was a protectorate of Australia, and they had Varea rhododendrons in their office oh, up wow. there. I'm assuming they threw them on the bonfire as soon as New Guinea got its <laughs> independence. But uh, it made me giggle because it was considered part of Australia for a very short time. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, wow. And and I still maintain we have two Australian rhododendrons, <laughs> and nearly everything that's being grown. Do you have out both. There, 
Pardon? Do you have both? No, I've only, well, I've got Viriosum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually looking for a true Lockie. Uh, Viriosum has a straight trumpet and it's a very vigorous bush, grows up quite big. Lockie's quite small growing and the trumpet is always curved. Mm. Um, oh, okay. And, but they're both of much the same shade of red. Um, so at some stage I want, uh, I want to get a true Lockie. I know I've, uh, but I know what well, I've got. Well, we have Lockie at Karanga. But, ah, but um, have I, you? I don't know. I'm going to double check now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's got a curved trumpet, because yeah. I don't remember where I got my Viriosum from, but I got it as Lockie yep. uh, from somewhere. Mm. Could have been Karanga. Um, <laughs> uh, because there's, look, there's still plenty of people out there that don't agree with the division, and I get that. Um, Do they, they flower at the same time? Well, they're both sort of summer autumn flowering, yeah. yeah, so they have a similar flowering period. Uh, but the habit of the plant, the shape of the flower, they're quite distinct, and mm. certainly enough distinction, I would have said, to set, separate them as species when you compare so many other plants mm. that are sort of vaguely similar but are still set out as different species. I wonder if anyone's doing any genetic testing on them at the moment. I don't know. To see if they are genetically distinct. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, it's probably something the Rhododendron Society should be putting some money into mm. It mm. and having the research done or something. Or it may have already been done because they seem perfectly confident that we've got two species. Mm. So, there you go. Uh, but yes, I do want a Lockie at some stage if I can get the, the fair dinkum plant. The true one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so, I think they're lovely. It's yeah. a beautiful plant, yeah. uh, and our one and only little bit of rhododendron uh, <laughs> genus that snuck that down you're going to claim to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's fabulous. All right, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, we are on the air until 9:15, so you can give us a call and chat to us or ask us anything garden related. Nine four one nine zero one double five, or the outside line is nine four one nine eight three double seven. AB. Yeah. So Sue has sent through a photo to our text line of a plant, which is a weed. It's um, quite a common weed. It's called inkweed. We've actually got it in our garden, mm. um, otherwise known as Phytolacca octan- octanda. Or yep. tandra. Do you know it, Stephen? Uh, I know it, of, yes. Yeah, and uh, it throws up it a... It stains like mad. The berries are really... Really black. Black, and, and they stain your yeah. hands and what have you. And it, the name. It comes up so quickly. Mm, yeah. it, it's like the um, kangaroo apple, the solanum... Mm. Um, Lassenatum, I think it is. They, they just, yeah, pioneer plants just shoot up yeah. super, super fast um, from America and parts of Asia, uh, weedy, and will spread very, very quickly. Mm. So, Sue, probably best to dig it out. Yes, mm. yes. I want the umba tree, though, which is another phytolacca, and it comes from South America and it gets this huge big trunk on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just... just <coughs> Enormous. There, there was one in uh, one of the main squares of Buenos Aires I saw years ago that would have been much wider than this little studio, uh, but still a sort of squattish tree. So you've mm. got this vast, big, giant trunk on it, an amazing looking thing. Uh, I'm sure there's some in some of our botanic gardens here somewhere. Surely. Um, but uh, I think it's a bit cold sensitive for me. Now, it seems that this morning the only people calling in are 3CR presenters. (laughs) If anyone else is actually listening... Roger. Roger Elliott, good morning. Good morning, Roger. I'm I'm, I'm an ex. (laughs) You're an ex. (laughs) It's nice to hear your voice, Roger. I haven't heard you for ages. Good. Uh, It was just interesting hearing you talking about papier, Stephen. Oh, yes. And um, most underrated plant. I think it's lovely. um, Yeah, and just the new growth, you know, you can grow them just for the new growth. Maybe sometimes they don't flower very well for people, but uh, 
lovely growth. And there are, there's a bit of colour variation in flowers too. You can get pale pink right through to very deep red. Yeah, I want a really deep red one if you've got one, Roger. I think both of the plants yeah. I got from different sources have both turned out to be sort of, I would call them mid-dusty pinks. Yeah, yeah, that's probably Which is right lovely. Too. I mean, I'm not objecting, but if yeah, I could get some colour yeah. variation in my pathias, I'd be very happy. Yeah, look, I'm not too sure. We, we haven't got it growing at the moment, but, um, yeah, they're around somewhere. I know there was a lady, Beth Armstrong, and she was fantastic at growing pathias mm. in Vermont, and she had, you know, a whole range of colours there. Oh. And um, it's also interesting when you see them up on Mount Lewis in North Queensland there, the foliage is often out in the full sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, their roots will be sitting in a, a crevice of a rock or a you know, crotch of a tree, but the foliage will be out in the open. Yeah, is, is the foliage a little bit, the colour a little bit more distinct on the ones that are out in the open? Or about the same? Yeah. It's, you know, the... The older leaves are dark green, but the new growth can be very pale pink or it can even be reddish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a, a typical um, ericaceous type growth often, you know. And mm. So, yeah. And um, as far as the rhododendron, Steve, yeah. you're, you're right. There are definitely two. I yes, think they're thank just... You, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the, in the process of clearing that up now botanically because at one stage they... For some strange reason, they lump them together. Yeah. Well, but I think I remember getting Viriosum originally as Lockie Mount Finnegan form or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At, um, yeah Mount Bartlefree is where the uh, the true Lockie eye comes from. Ah, uh-huh, yes. And so, yeah, it, it's bird pollinated. The other's not. So they're, they're quite different. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Well, I'm, yeah. glad I, I, I'm glad I've got the um, agreement of somebody of your standing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw them as quite di- distinct-looking plants right from the word go. I couldn't understand they were both locky. It just sort of struck no, me as weird. No. no, that's right. Yeah. No. Anyway, that, that's that. Oh, and, fantastic. Uh, and how's Gwen? She, she's fine. Good. She's fine. She got her footy tip yeah. wrong the other night, by the way. I'm just going oh, no, <laughs> to put that out on the air. <laughs> and it was interesting hearing you talk about pronunciations. There's a wonderful man called Stern. Oh, yes, Stern's Dictionary. Yes. Yeah. And in there, he tells you it doesn't matter how you pronounce because nobody really knows. Yeah. Yeah. The I, look, I, I tend to take that attitude about it, uh, and whatever's commonly used, you tend to sort of work your yeah. way towards. And I just want to encourage people to use the blessed botanical name, please, because green yeah. leaves something or other doesn't Aunt cut Maud's it. Ward's mauve. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ward's <laughs> mauve. Anyway, all right. All the best. All right. Thank, Thank you, Roger. Roger. Take Roger. care. Oh, that was lovely to hear from him. It yeah, sure was. It was. For people who don't know, Roger is uh, one of the duo, so uh, Roger Elliott and David Jones, who wrote the complete encyclopedia of Australian yes, plants. Yes, 11 or volumes or whatever Nine it was. volumes. Oh, man. Uh, it is an absolute... So they are just my go-tos for yeah, everything. It's a shame, though, that they're throwing the names up in the air and they're coming down in different places now. Yeah, well, that doesn't, yeah. doesn't... So it's dating the books, it, it unfortunately, is, uh, a bit. It is. Yeah, it is, but um, it's still so very, very useful. Oh, yeah. yes. Worth researching what the old name was so you can find it yeah. in the encyclopedias. Yeah. 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 
Oh, we've had a couple more um, people call up. So if you do want to ask us a question, we've got a little bit of time, 94190155. And we will say good morning to Anne in Sandringham. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. Good morning, listeners. Morning. Um, I was wondering, why don't we uh, organise so that we recognise plants by their common name instead of by the Latin name? Because most people wouldn't have a clue. We're all self-combusting in here, Anne. (laughs) No way. No way. It'll never happen, Anne. No. Basically because common names can apply to more than one plant. Uh, One plant can have a multitude of common names. Um, And if you're in another country where the language is different, they'll have a different set of common names for those plants as well. So the botanic names at least give us stability. only one. And there's only one botanic name for a plant. Admittedly, sometimes they change, but... Nonetheless, the idea of it is that there will be stability in due course and every plant will have one botanic name. And if you try and research anything on the internet by common names, I will vow and declare you'll struggle to find any information because the botanical name will always come up. Uh, I've got something else as well. Yeah. Uh, That's if I can read my writing here, which is getting increasingly difficult sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I can foresee the day coming when people will be able to have a little block of land or whatever in a garden and what have. There are such things as community uh, credit unions, dare I say it, and uh, a little bit of investigation down the drain uh, I mean, down the track, can give you uh, the helping hand that you need. We all deserve a roof over our head, and of course the garden is integral to our health as well as uh, the roof over our head. Well, we can't agree with you more on that uh, because, of course, we're all keen gardeners, so we understand the the need for being able to get outside and enjoy your plants and grow something to eat and and all of the good things that come of gardening. You're right, Anne. Right. Now, last but not least, uh, I have here written in school that I can barely read. Uh, I purchased recently a veggie bag and I was wondering if anybody's ever heard of them. They are very, very good. They stand about a metre high. They're about two feet wide and what you do is uh, the bags are delivered by Australia Post to your door. You uh, open them up and they've got soil in them they are quite large, they are cumbersome, but um, not to worry about that. What you do is you put your seedlings in and within a fortnight or so, you are blessed with lettuce and uh, all manner of things. You can grow herbs in them and they retail for around $75. 
Now, if you're interested in getting the veggie bag, I suggest uh, you watch your television set and turn it on to Channel 14 and you will find uh, the details there of how to obtain uh, not just a veggie bag but whatever. Thank you. So uh, I'll close now, dear, and you can all go on to... Your uh, next caller. All right, thank you. And we've got a few lined up, so thank right. you very much. Now, we've had a couple of text messages come in. Oh, yes. Um, some little, some positive feedback. Uh, love hearing you guys from Roger, listener in Newport. Thank you, mm-hmm. Roger. And a question without a name. Can you grow Alpinia Zurumbet in Melbourne? Uh, I don't know I that plant. I have grave doubts. Alpinias are I'm tropical thinking, gingers. Right, so unless you want to grow it inside and like in your orangery, in your in your <laughs> orangery, totally. yes. yes. Um, but you would have to mist it a lot and make sure yeah, it likes yeah, a humid I, environment. I, I mean, some people are growing some weird stuff down in Melbourne these days. So there's a lot of things that are tropical that are coming down here mm. that seem to be coping quite well. But I think we're probably pushing it to grow alpinias. Yep. Cool. All right, now we've got a couple. Um, we've got another caller, and then we have a, a citrus question that we do need to get through. But we will say good morning to Michael in Caulfield. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for waiting. My pleasure. The, um, I've, I've put compost out on the garden, and, and I've bought small bags, and that seems a waste. So I had a couple times I've had to truck delivery of them, and I had to go see the, <laughs> the studio after that. I heard somewhere that they, they have some compost people that can blow the compost around the garden. That they come in and they so you they park out the street and then you can they, they'll take it to the back and shoot it around. So I don't have to shovel it. You know who, who is that? Oh, true? I ha- I've who, heard of they? I've heard of companies that do that with mulch. Mm. Um, so I don't see why they couldn't do it with compost. So um, do, oh, well, mulch is mulch is fine. Uh, whatever. Yeah, so, I was going to say, you know, don't dismiss the um, the fitness benefits of moving your own compost <laughs> around the garden. Um, yeah, I had enough of fitness. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they dump it out on the streets. So you've got to move it all at the same time. Yeah, so, um, yes, it is a bit of an and, issue. And that's the problem. If I did it, a bit of it every day, that would be another matter. Mm, I don't know of any where... There's, they used to be called Weeblo, which is a great name, but they've, they've called something a little bit more sophisticated now, Ecodynamics. And I, def, I definitely know that they, they do mulch, but they yeah. do other types of products as well. And I, they, they do soil, so I'm thinking if they do soil, they'll probably do compost. Yeah. Um, so Ecodynamics. Okay. I'll give them a try. Yep, give them a I go. My, my, the other question is I have some orange fungus growing on my plum trees, just a small amount of it. Is it on the what trunk? Time? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so... lichen. No, well, there, there's those wood rot fungi. Oh, yes. So I think it. that's not a good sign. Is it an older tree? It's been around for a while. Often those wood rot fungis come up on prunus that are old, or, or there might be some sort of damage to the, the tissue or the plant tissue on the trunk. Um, right. The fungi gets in, and once those those fruiting bodies of that wood rot fungi, that the orange stuff comes out, it's a pretty fair sign that the plant is on its way out. Oh dear! A gap is an opportunity. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So if it, like yeah. if a branch if it got damaged by something, you know, a stake or 
a branch snapped off, you know, many years ago, and the um, those you know fungal spores are around in the atmosphere. Um, those wood rot fungi will just take hold and work their way through the vascular system of the plant, and then by the time you get that fruiting body, which is the mature um, fungus, come up, it's usually an arborist told me it's it's not a good sign that the plant like it, it sorry, it's not a good sign for you, but the plant is sort of on its way out. So you okay. could best to remove it, or if it's just if it's just hanging in and still looking nice, then you can leave it for a little bit longer. But um, potential to spread that fungus around to other plants in your garden that may not be doing so well or a little bit damaged somehow. I can cut out one of them. I can cut off the end. If it's sort of the end of a branch, I can cut that off and you, see. Yeah, cut off the end. I I would say I think the fungus will be in the plant now. Yeah, if if now. it is a, a wood rotting fungus, the mycelium of the yes. fungus will have worked its way down through the, the system of the yep. stems. So cutting off below the fruiting bodies isn't necessarily going to stop the fungus. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much. That's thank okay. You. No worries. Thank you, Michael. Have a good day. Um, now, we have had a text message come in a while ago. Peter, um, I'm sorry we haven't got to it. You're, he's interested, in, interested to know about cross-pollination with citrus. They're flowering at the same time. How to stop unwanted cross-pollination? There's no such Do, thing. And doesn't, no. It doesn't really matter anyway. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless you were trying to raise citrus from seed, yeah. then all cross-pollination does is pollinate the yeah. flowers, which means you get fruit. Uh, but yeah. the seeds from that fruit could end up being a Something hybrid else. form of citrus, yeah. but it doesn't make any... It doesn't change the flavour or the No, it doesn't change the, the fruit, fruit, full stop. No. no. Yeah. So there's no reason to worry about... And citrus don't seed, don't germinate readily anyway. If you know, if you mandarins fall to the ground, they're not yeah. going to all well, pop up. And become well, weedy, and weird if they did, citrus. you'd just pull them out probably anyway because they wouldn't be of any use to you. Yeah. Um, and in fact, a lot of citrus are apomictic. Um, and for those who don't yeah, know what apomictic I don't know what that is, word is, it means that they can produce seed without being pollinated. And at one stage, the navel oranges in California were so virus ridden, and of course, you were budding or grafting, and the virus kept moving with the thing, they became worthless. And so they grew apomictic seedlings, which are clonally identical to the parent from seed of the fruit, and it doesn't take the virus with it. And so they reintroduced uh, navel oranges into California, which were still the proper navel oranges, but they were virus-free because they were seedling-raised. But Mm. they were clones of the parent plant because they were apomictic seedlings. Mm. So a lot of citrus will throw true to seed. And that's the thing. uh, uh, (laughs) A-P-I-M-I... C-T-I-C, I think. Apomictic. Um, um, if you raise seed from most of your citrus, uh, there's a good chance it'll be, in fact, apomictic and it will, in fact, be an identical clone to the parent. So if you raise seed off your Lisbon lemon tree, you're likely to get a Lisbon lemon. The only trouble with it is it'll take more years yeah. to get to fruiting size, um, but it will still be a, a exactly the same citrus tree. Hmm. So there you go. So there's a little bit of useless information. No, people. really good. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for that. Oh, <laughs> Professor Stevens strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we still have 15 minutes left to go on the program. I would like to remind our listeners that the 3CR Radiothon oh, is coming, yes, coming up, which up. is a big fundraiser for the whole station. Um, obviously, this is a not-for-profit organisation and subscribing, listeners subscribing and donating what they can um, helps keep us on air. 
Now, the 3CR Gardening Show Radiothon episode will be on the 27th of June. So we usually have lots of goodies that people can purchase at a very, very reduced price. There's heaps of books, mm. lots of I've products. I've a couple of vouchers. Stephen, thank you very yep, much, yes, AB, I think. I gave some books. Habitat. I saw some Habitat books. Good, good. And there are heaps of products that we get donated from a lot of companies, and it's a pretty full-on fun sort of a morning. So the 27th of June, um, it's, it's, it is utter chaos. Uh, make sure you tune in on that day and help support the program, and it, it helps us come yeah, in here every week and, and talk about what we love. And, of course, we do it for free. Yes. So what we earn from our Radiothon doesn't go into our pockets. <laughs> no. But it does help keep the radio station on air. Yeah, so. and it helps... Um, keep some people, it keeps a lot of the staff here mm. employed in a job and, yeah. And, and it pays for socks for our microphones <laughs> and, mm. you know, all of the things Spit that are radio screens and cleaning and products. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a lot of that these days. It helps keep the radio station running and mm. it's very important to have these smaller community-based radio stations so that there's lots of different programs on here with very different topics and well, causes. Well, like the very best gardening program on it. I would Ever. say it is. Ever. Ever. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Not it's an overstatement at all. <laughs> you know, that there is. That there is. Yes, so there you go. Yeah. And that's not us being full of ourselves. It's just a damn good gardening program. <laughs> <laughs> just a fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 27th okay. of June is the Radiothon. Two and a half hours of utter chaos and lots of cool giveaways and products. Um, I would like to remind people that it is Botanic Gardens Open Day today. Mm. So if you do live within 5Ks of one, please get out and have a wander through it. If you don't, go to your local park and have a wander around. The power at my place yesterday was out from 8.30 to 4.30 yesterday doing maintenance. So I was out the front planting. I've just made a new garden bed at home planting the last of the plants and because the power was out and it was a beautiful day everyone was outside and walking around the neighborhood and um, kids were walking around giving out lemons from their trees that were overloaded and everyone was chatting to each other at a safe distance and it was so lovely were they apomictic lemons (laughs) (laughs) i'll get back to you Uh, won't accept anything less Oh, it was just so nice yesterday. People were out in their gardens. I could hear, you know, lawnmowers and um, hedge oh, trimmers was, going off, yep. and it was lovely. Nice. It was really, really nice. And um, my body is a bit sore from all the gardening Yay. I did. I dug out a, a stump of an agonis flexuosa. Oh, it, was, it was the Nana version, the dwarf version, but the stump, I reckon probably weighed 10 kilos. Oh. Took me a crowbar. I broke my matic. Oh dear! Oh, my favourite gardening tool. Oh. Yeah, Don't but I got it out because it was disease and had to go. Ruin a good gardening tool that you've had for years. It's, it's, yeah. And look, I looked at it and I know I should look after my tool, my gardening tools better. I should linseed oil the yeah, handles all that stuff, because yeah. the handle was dry mm. because. I don't clean it properly, aren't you? you know, like, I'm sure I'm not the only one that doesn't do... Yeah, do as I say, it. not do as I yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't be more correct. Um, I need to get into that habit of looking after yeah. wooden handles probably because it just... Take it it's from me, I've been in the trade for so long now, it's ridiculous, and I've never looked after a game <laughs> in my life, well, uh, much to my shame, uh, but there you go. There is a, a repair cafe run by... A, Knox Environment Society, and once a, every few months... Chloe's a regular there. Yeah, because they keep <laughs> breaking things. They've fixed a, fixed a clock radio for me before, 
but I, I, I've broken a shovel, mm. so I have a perfectly good shovel shovel yeah, bit, the head, right? yeah. the head, and obviously there's nothing wrong with the head of the matic, so I'm going to get a couple of, I'll buy a couple of handles and I'll take them down to the um, repair good cafe when they're open mm. next and get them, because there's nothing wrong with them, yeah. I just broke the handle, so yeah, I'll buy well, a new handle. broken a wooden handle, and I can't, I don't, that's replaceable. Not quite sure how to fix it myself, I no. don't, not quite, I don't know how to do that. So Every time I try something like that, I end up with a wonky thing that yeah, doesn't quite and work. And it'll be loose. Dangerous. Yeah. And I'll go to, I'll go to use the matic on something, yeah, and it'll, hit it'll in the dong head. in the head, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the head'll hit my head. Yeah. yeah, no, get somebody who knows what they're doing yes. to do those things. But yes. Yes, I've got a, a spade at home that needs a new handle in it, and I keep thinking, I must get somebody to do that. It'd be a good idea because it's a yeah, wasted tool. It could be so much more yeah. functional if I could get it working. Again. Yes, yes. We do have another caller. Last one for the morning, perhaps. Jill from the Herb Society. Hello. Hello. Good morning, Jill. Uh, good morning, Stephen. A B. Hi, Jill. Hello. Um, uh, with the Herb Society, I I spoke last month on plants of the first fleet and I've put an article in the Herb Aid and people can join the Herb Aid now. It's $26 for individual membership by email. So it's very uh, environmentally good. And um, herbsocietyvic.com No, herbsocietyvic.org and you can look on the website, and uh, there's some details of how to join. And then you can see my article. But Good. the other thing is, um, I recommended to the committee that we pay our $200 ASAP to 3CR. So you'll be glad about that. Fantastic. Thank Thanks you, Jill. Jill. Uh, and the last thing, I've got the Epacris Impressor next to the small lily pillies, two of them, and next to now... Um, the fan, fan flower, which is pale pink, and my theme is magenta, crimson, and pink garden. Lovely. And, uh, I've got jelly bean, um, grazilia jelly bean nearby, so I'm getting into it. Good. Oh, <laughs> good on you, Jill. <laughs> and a pink kangaroo pour as well, so I'm... Uh, Australianising my garden. Only 23,585 to go. Yeah. We're so proud of you, Jill. You've yeah. come a long way. And in July, July the 1st, Karen Sutherland's coming to speak about uh, setting up an edible um, native garden. So that was to um, offset the fact that we had herbs of the first fleet. Um, <laughs> you always weeds the first fleet bought in, yes. <laughs> Anyway, the quiz program for June is going to be in August. So people who want to test their knowledge without their Google help on their phone, that would be lovely. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Bye now. Thanks, Bye. Jill. Bye. See you later. Well, we're almost there. Yeah, AB, if you... I've got another plant to talk to oh, us about. Oh, I didn't brought, see that one. in a lovely little plant. Uh, this is a ground cover, so if anyone's in the market for a ground cover, listen up. Uh, native, obviously. This is um, Austral Bugle or um, Ajuga Australis. Uh, quite um, quite rampant in a way, but not really weedy. Will spread to about three metres, gets to about 30 centimetres high and um, then throws up 
lovely flower stalks yep. of um, sort of purple and mauve and, and that sort of thing. People would probably be familiar with the exotic one because exactly, there's a lot of yeah. the exotic ajuga getting around in different coloured leafed forms and, yeah. and what have you. And it's... Actually, if you'd handed me the pot, I probably would have thought it was just yet another cultivar of one of the exotic ones. That well, looks very not similar. me, Stephen. No, you know, I know. You know from me you. well enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I figured it probably wasn't, but, you know, if somebody else had handed me the pot, <laughs> I might well have just assumed it was one of those ajugas from overseas. Yeah, really, really useful, great in light shade through to heavy shade, fantastic plant for growing under mature trees and shrubs. Uh, a australis doesn't need a hell of a lot of water, grows in coastal mm. locations, forested locations, mm. coasts with all sorts of soil, uh, has uh, sort of um, almost like quilted leaves, very deep green through to uh, burgundy of varying sizes, sort of softly toothed margins. Really pretty mm. plant. Mm. Good description. Considering that the exotic ajuga repens has been around for a long time in horticulture and therefore lots of different variants have shown up, mm. there's no reason why we couldn't end up with some really interesting variants of our native one mm. um, if somebody puts a little time and effort into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But um, very useful little plant, I would say. Probably mm. underrated, underused. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, very nice. Now, before we wrap up today, just quickly, guys, what are your lockdown gardening plans for this week? Uh, lockdown gardening plans. Mm, that's a good question. Might tidy up some pots, I think. Mm, good idea. Mm, yeah. Stephen, you're tidying up the nursery still? Yeah, I'm, yes, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm spending all Lock, my time in the nursery tidying up as many... for the rest of the year. Yeah, <laughs> tidying up... Because every time I go to the back of the nursery when it's open to do something, that's the very time a client comes in. Yes. And so you never get back to finishing things. So mm. my idea this week is to try and do some serious weeding right at the back of the nursery because mm. I can keep the gates closed and I can be down there and do it and I don't have to keep getting dragged away from it. So I'm hopefully going to tidy up the back of the nursery this week. <laughs> Sounds very, very good. Well, I must <clears throat> thank everyone for tuning in this morning. I think there was more people than just the presenters that called us this morning. <laughs> there were some. There were some. We will be here at the same time at 7.30 next week. Thank you to Karina and Doug for keeping the show Yay. running in the background. Thank you Yay. to Liz, who does the social media, Facebook and Instagram for us. Have a good week, everyone. Take care, stay safe, stay at home, and we will hear you all next week.
been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.